Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, where I interview guests that will teach, motivate, and inspire you to stop at nothing to fulfill your dreams. Today, I am joined by a special guest, Kid Curry. He (laughs) was running the most listened to station in Miami until he was forced into retirement by multiple sclerosis. So now he is a writer. But this diagnosis wasn't all bad because it allowed him and his wife to reconnect. They call it the snow globe moment. So we're going to be talking about him, about his life before the diagnosis and after. And we're going to be talking to him about running the radio station and how he got into radio. So, Kid, thank you for joining me. My pleasure, my friend. Um, I always look forward to doing these things. So uh, let's get it. Yeah, let's let's get it. Let's let's start by getting a little bit of background about yourself. All right. Well, um, I'm 66 years old, but uh, when I was 17 years old, my dad was a news guy at a radio station in Canyon City, Colorado, very small little town, only had one radio station. And one day he came home and told me that the uh, general manager wanted me to babysit. So I went up to the radio station thinking I was going to babysit his kids. And uh, he says, no, I need you to babysit the Sunday morning God show, because on Sunday mornings, what they would do is they would play back the recordings of the previous week's church services, and nobody wanted that job. So they just hired a high school kid. But, you know, my only responsibility is to put those tapes on and then turn the tape machine on and then just listen to it. I just sat there and got ready for the next tape. But every hour I had to go on live and do the station identification. And it was one of those moments, man, where I'm, I'm like, uh, this is KRLN, Canyon City, Colorado, the station with the news reputation, which is exactly what I said. But when I heard myself, it was one of those things like, wow, that was, that was cool. I could do that again. So it got me into college. I went to uh, University of Southern Colorado uh, in Pueblo, Colorado for two and a half years and study broadcasting. And at the same time, I was doing part-time radio uh, on the local, one of the local top 40 stations. And uh, the day that they uh, were, were, you know, every radio station had these drops and they, the drops said things like, you know, Curtis Jackson plays all hit music. Uh, so I was the news guy and the guy was in recording all those for the disc jockeys. And because my name, Kid Curry, is not my real name. My real name is Kim Curry. But let's go all the way back in the 70s. You didn't really have many guys named Kim in America. So I was, I was in the studio, and the guy was making all these new voice recordings for the disc jockeys. And the boss turned around. He says, make one for this guy, Kim. He says, no, we can't call anybody Kim. So he turned around. He picked up a record. And he looked at his little 45 single and he said, we'll call him Gary Paxton. Well, the record he picked up was The Monster Mash, which was written by a guy named Gary Paxton. So that was my first radio name. And it was, you know, it worked okay. I was only on the radio one day a week for 
uh, two and a half years, but that was my first radio name. Uh, but then, you know, I was going to college and I was on the radio at the time and I was getting my oats thinking I knew what I was doing. So I started putting out applications all around America, uh, air checks. What DJs do to get jobs is they take the words that they say, the things that they say, and they put those all together on a tape and they send out those air checks. Well, I sent out air checks and two and a half years after I went to college and I got a job offer. My first full-time job offer was to go to Knoxville, Tennessee. So I'm driving across the country in my little Plymouth Valiant 1971 white car. I call it the car of the future because it had no class. And uh, so I'm driving out there and I'm thinking, well, I, I got to come up with a new name. I'm going to be on the radio at 10 o'clock at night. So I thought I'll call myself Night Smoke. <laughs> so I get to the radio station. And I walk up the stairs to the, and I open up the door and there was a lady sitting at the receptionist's office. And behind her was this big guy with curly hair and a Hawaiian shirt. And I put out my hand and I said, hello, ma'am. My name is Night Smoke. I'm your new nighttime DJ. And the guy behind her says, well, if it isn't Kid Curry. And back in the 1970s, there was a, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were, were you know, fictitious you know, Westerners from, you know, the old cowboy days. And there was a TV show that was called Kid Curry and Hannibal Hayes. And so my friends used to always make a joke. They'd call me Kid Curry. I hated that name. So when the guy says, well, if it isn't Kid Curry, I said, dude, I hate that name. Thank you. Sorry. No, thanks. And he said, well, then I won't sign your check. So Kid Curry, it became. So that's how I got the name. That's where it came from. That's what started the radio career. I just graduated last year from the Academy of Radio and TV Broadcasting in Huntington Beach. So I definitely know about the air checks and stuff like that. Yep. Yep. How do you okay. feel that radio has changed from the time you started to now? Because, well, you know, iHeart has bought up a lot of stuff and there's a lot of changes. Well, when I got into radio, man, it was very much, you know, the owner of the radio station. First of all, they could only own seven stations at a time. One guy could only own seven stations. And the guy who owned the station most likely lived in the same town. Um, that's just the way it was. Uh, but then, you know, that what that gave us was loads of creativity. Because if you could convince the general manager or the owner of the radio station that you had some new thing you wanted to do and you could create a new type of radio and get an audience, it was a great thing because you could focus your radio station on the market itself. Because believe me, Pueblo, Colorado sounds different than uh, Spokane, Washington. Uh, Washington, D.C. sounds better than uh, Miami, Florida. Each town has their own feel. So when I got into radio, you could go into a town and that would, was my job is I would go into a town and I would sit there for a week or so and I'd listen to what was going on. And I think, well, I think there's a niche here and I'm going to go after this niche. I can do this and win you an audience. And that's how we played. And it was great. And, you know, crazy enough, back in the day, people used to make good money at that. I used to make easy six figures at one time, a quarter million dollars doing this. You could really do it because if you could get ratings by coming up with a type of radio that no one else did in town, then you were a superstar. So that's the kind of radio I grew up on. And uh, fortunately, 
uh, most of the time I was on the radio in America. That's the kind of radio I, I, I got to play. Uh, eventually, uh, after you know 25 years of me bouncing around, uh, trying to learn how to run radio stations and uh, being a DJ in America, I finally was given the opportunity to run Power 96 in Miami. Now, just a quick history there. Um, you know, uh, this particular radio station was called Power 96. It's called that now. But in the original concept of the radio station, all the way back in the 70s, it was called 96X. Uh, it changed. In fact, at one time it got turned off because it did an illegal contest. But then it came back on. So this frequency, 96.3 in Miami, eventually became 96.5 in Miami. And they call it Power 96. I went down there in 1976 to work at 96X. And then eventually, 25 years later, I was the program director of Power 96. So in the 30, some of the 25 years, I bounced around and worked for uh, two of the geniuses of radio, Jerry Clifton and Bill Tanner, the two guys I first went to work for in Miami all the way back in 1976. So fast forward to 1996. I become the program director myself. The radio station has the most success it's had in uh, its history, uh, and it's never recovered because after I left, it never regained that history. And then radio changed after 1996 because that was when the, uh, the FCC said, you know, open the door for a clear channel. It was clear channel at the time to buy up all the radio stations they wanted to buy up. And that's what started. It was, a, they used to call themselves clear channel, but they got a really bad rap for, you know, taking out all these jobs because they would consolidate all these buildings and all these people and fire everybody, fire DJs, legends, guys who would, who were real broadcasters who grew up in the business back when I did, who became part of the market. I mean, we're part of the daily function of the town. And then when, you know, Clear Channel came in and they got all these stations, started syndicating things. They fired all those guys. And, uh, you know, so you have really talented people out there walking the streets who were creating great radio that are victims of the 1996 decision by the Federal Communications Commission to take away their ownership rules. And then fast forward to today, where you have maybe four people owning stations. I mean, the four companies owning all the stations. Back when I was a kid, there were hundreds of owners, hundreds of them. Uh, and people really had jobs and it was an economy and you could get in the radio business and be creative. And, and, and now it's just, a, it's just a function of whatever music they tell you to play and you read this card and at 7.30, you got to do it again. And that's the way radio is now. It's a shame, but, you know, that's the truth. That's my opinion. That's the truth. Well, what do you think about the legitimacy of online radio? Because I'm on an online station and we just got the opportunity to get on iHeartRadio. What do you think about online uh, radio and how that's going and what that's going to be in the future? That's a great idea. Um, I happen to know some of the guys way back in, geez, I got diagnosed in 2005 with multiple sclerosis. I got forced out of the radio business in 2005, right around 2008, nine or so. 
Uh, I was in San Antonio, Texas, dealing with some friends of mine who I used to work with way back in the 80s. And uh, they had already turned on an online radio station back then. That station is still on. And it is successful in San Antonio. And uh, I, I have large belief in the success of online radio. And it just so happens that the mechanism you use is iHeart. And that's the function everybody uses. So I think you're doing the right thing. Um, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't appreciate the fact that Clear Channel changed their name to iHeart because Clear Channel got such a bad rap for firing everybody. So they changed their name. It's the same people. So I don't have warm feelings about what they've done to the radio business. However, I understand the business model and what they're doing, and they are the force. Well, let's talk about you being driven from radio with multiple sclerosis. Explain what multiple sclerosis is. And you got diagnosed late in life. Did you notice any issues or did it just pop up? You know, it's funny you've mentioned that. You know, I've worked around you know, in San Antonio, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, um, and Miami, of course. And uh, I had exacerbations. I had symptoms of MS that I didn't even know what it was. And one time in particular, uh, it's kind of an example of what stress has to do with MS. First of all, I was on the radio at night with the name Kid Curry. I was the teenage DJ, Okay. Before I got off the radio at 10 o'clock, I used to do a feature called the bed check and I'd have kids would call in and they, you know, rip on their teacher and make a joke about a friend, rip on their mom, and I'd fire something funny back at them. And then at the end of that particular feature, I'd yell, come get me, mother, I'm through, which is the name of my book. But anyway, that was a feature I did in all the towns that I was on the radio at night when I was in Washington, D.C., it wasn't a little kid feature. Well, it was. It started off as that. But once the, the political parties <laughs> knew about it, they would call in and make comments. So it became kind of a political issue there. I, I started getting phone calls from a guy. I'd pick up the phone and I, I'd say, bed check. And the guy would say, hey, man, it's me, Frank DeFramer. I'm over here at the White House and the president just heard your bed check. And I'd laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Sure. I'd hang up and I'd go on to the next call. Well, this guy called in night after night. And I, one night I put him on hold and I got him off, said, man, who are you? What are you talking about? He says, well, uh, my name is Frank DeFramer. Uh, it just so happens somebody has to take care of the frames at the White House. And that's my job. I have an office downstairs. President Reagan comes down here and <laughs> here's your bed check. And I was flabbergasted. Couldn't believe it. So that's the kind of thing that would happen on my bed check. Well, fast forward a couple of years. I'm now up in Baltimore, Maryland. And the girl I'm with, uh, her grandma comes to visit from Texas. I happen to mention that I have a friend at the White House. You need to take me on a tour of the White House, she starts on me. So, man, I really, you know, I barely even, I, he, Frank the Framer told me that these things happen, but I didn't really know if it was true until the day I had to call the White House to see if I could put together a tour because I had a friend at the White House. And I call the White House and I say, uh, yeah, listen, I'm, um, I'd like to speak to Frank DeFramer. And the lady says, oh, Frank DeFramer, I'll get him right now. <laughs> Guy picks up the phone, Frank DeFramer. I'm like, Frank, it's Kid Curry. He's like, oh, Kid, how you doing? So I'm like, listen, I got to bring my girl's grandma over. Um, now, this was just after Reagan's assassination attempt. 
they had not changed the structure of the security around the White House yet. So as I come up to the White House, I just drive around in circles. If you know that place, you, you just drive around at the time. And there was a road that actually came off the street and went right up to the side of the White House. So I drove around a couple of times. I thought, well, that looks like the road I should take. Well, Frank had told me, come on over, man. I'll tell everybody you're coming. Just mention your kid, Curry. They'll let you come right in. Just tell them you're here to see Frank DeFramer. So I start going up this road and the Secret Service start coming at me and they're pulling their guns. Stress is a killer with multiple sclerosis. As soon as my adrenaline started to run, I start losing vision in my right eye. Uh, my shoulder starts to really start twitching on me. Um, my legs start seizing. So I get up as close as I can. And now I've got these 10 guys pointing their guns at me, put the car in park and I open the door and I fall out of the car. And I'm like, oh, I'm here to see Frank DeFramer. <laughs> They're like, oh, hey, kid, how you doing? Can we get you a wheelchair? I'm like, no. Get the wheelchair for the grandma. I'll, I'll stand up and I'll walk around. What multiple sclerosis is, is lesions appear on your brain. Uh, and depending on where those lesions appear, that's the part of your body is going to be affected. Right As I'm talking to you right now, my legs, my lower body is in total seizure. My legs are sticking straight out. So wherever my lesions are, they're in the area that controls my lower, my lower extremities. And all my MS patients have problems with their eyes. My right eye is dim sometimes. Uh, my shoulders seize. My, my hands curl up. So wherever those lesions fall on the brain, that's the part of the body that's going to be affected. There's something else that happens to MS patients, which I just totally don't understand the science of it. But your nerves have lining called myelin. And the myelin disintegrates in patients with MS. So we have a few things that go on. And, you know, surprisingly enough, uh, people die from this disease. You know, when I was in 2005, I was, you know, having a great time running Power 96, you know, the kind of guy that everybody in America in radio and music wanted to be next to because Miami is a fairly strong music market. And to have the number one radio station down there is fairly important. And that particular property had been so successful for so long, had been put together so well prior to even me having it. And then, you know, it was actually 2004 Christmas. I came home to see my mother and my mother starts telling me, how come you're walking funny? And I had to admit, I didn't feel that my feet were touching the ground correctly. Uh, she said, your eye looks funny. It's drooping. What's going on? And, you know, those kind of things, when your mom starts saying there's something wrong with you, uh, you, okay. I went back to Miami and uh, went to my chiropractor because that's really all I'd ever seen. You know, I was married and my, my wife had me, you know, checked by the doctor to make sure I didn't have any funky rabies. But, uh, you know, my normal thing was to always go to the chiropractor. And when I went to my chiropractor lady, she looked at my feet and said, you need to leave here and go to a doctor right now. There's something else going on. So about six weeks later, that diagnosed multiple sclerosis. To be the guy that runs Power 96, it's your blood. It's my thing. It's what I did. It's what I lived and breathed. But when I got diagnosed with MS, it completely took my mind off my job. Because on the, I got, I got, I got told I had MS at a corporate meeting. You know, Miami's 
on the other side of Alligator Alley away from Naples. So I was at a corporate meeting over in Naples when I got a call from my doctor on my cell phone. And she told me that I, that she was absolutely defining my problem as multiple sclerosis and that she needed to see me immediately. So I went back into the meeting that I was with all these geniuses in my company. I packed up my bags, said goodbye, got in my car, started driving back to Miami, got my wife on the phone, and she started doing the 19, I mean, the 2005 version of Google. And uh, she's, she's reading some fairly serious problems are about to occur and that people actually die from multiple sclerosis. So it was a real hit, man. It, uh, it threw me off because then, you know, I, all I could think of was just, I'm just going to let the radio station do its thing. I've got to go take care of me. And, you know, six months later, I was in Colorado living in my hometown. I came home here because I figured my high school friends were still in town. And if I needed help, they could help me out. Of course, my wife is, is uh, I can't tell you how important my wife is. You know, when I got diagnosed, we came out here to Colorado. We did the fix and flip thing for a while, but my wife didn't like the way the real estate community was treating her. So a year later, she's got a real estate license. A year after that, she's breaking records in the state for real estate. And now she doesn't even sell houses. She consults people who have to sell at least 100 houses a year to even talk to her. She's a consultant in real estate. So, you know, our lives changed dramatically. But for those first eight years after I got diagnosed, I was going down pretty bad. It was scary. I really thought it was, I didn't know where it was going to end. But, um, you know, modern science is such. In 2005, when I was diagnosed, there were only like five MS medicines. 2008, there's eight of them. And my doctor is angry that uh, we're not seeing any progress with my, my meds. So uh, it was, I was on the same medicine, Rebif, for about six, seven years. And the doctor insisted I change the medicine. So we changed the medicine. And then he insisted I take large doses of vitamin D. Now, if there's MS patients out there, don't take my word for it. Check with your doctor. But there is absolute medical proof that vitamin D is needed by multiple sclerosis patients. My doctor tried to get me to take it. I'm a radio DJ, man. I used to make jokes about vitamins. I fought him for six months. Why would I take a vitamin? I've changed my medicine. Uh, let's wait and see what happens. He says, no, you got to take the vitamins. So after six months of he and my wife harassing me, I started taking like 5,000 IUs of multiple of, of, um, of vitamin D and my MS condition leveled off. I stopped getting sicker. And so around 2013, my condition leveled off. And since then, I've, I've had to go and kind of recreate my mental state because I thought I was going to die. And then I kind of had to recreate myself. And uh, after the encouragement of some friends, I uh, became a writer and I've written my story. It's in my memoirs, Come Get Me Mother, I'm Through. And I continue to write. I've got another fiction out. It's, a, it's called The Death of Fairness. It pertains to what happened to a small American town and its only radio station after President Reagan rescinded the Fairness Doctrine in 1987. It's a real thing. It was the rule that the FCC required equal time for contrasting points of view. Uh, you take that rule out and you are making lies legal without debate. And many believe it's the source of why we have the division in America today. Uh, after the rescinding of the doctrine, uh, you had Rush Limbaugh come on and start lying and, and doing conspiracy theories and, 
And you can't, you, you used to, when someone lied or, or made, up a, made up a conspiracy theory before 1987, you had the right to go on and have equal time to combat that lie. But after 1987, Reagan said, no, we're not doing this anymore. Uh, and then so guys like Rush and all these other guys got to pollute our, some people's brains in America. And it has caused the division we have in America today. I'm not the only one. A lot of people believe that. So, Well, let's talk about, this is a two-part question. How okay. were you able to control your mind through your diagnosis? And also, what tests are performed to find out if people have multiple sclerosis or not? That battery of tests is amazing. Okay. Um, but I, I, I'm going to go to that first. Don't let me forget your other question. The battery, the battery of tests, they stick you with needles. They electrocute you. They do eye vision tests. Um, it is a hard thing to diagnose. Uh, it's not like they can just look at you and say, this is it. They have to do a variety of different tests. And they all culminate with um, after I've been poked and prodded and uh, shocked and had my vision tested over and over again, the end of that was then the spinal tap, which they have to inspect the fluid in your spine. And now that was a problem for me because um, I, when, they, when my doctor came in to try to get spinal fluid, you know, they, she bent me over and she said, this is not going to be comfortable, but I'll be fast. And she put the, this, what felt like a supersized straw on my back. And then she said, oops, <laughs> there's nothing there. <laughs> so she took it out. There was no fluid. She couldn't find any spinal, spinal fluid. So four times that day, I got another needle put in my back. It was the most torturous thing I'd ever done in my life, but they had to get, they had to get it. They ended up putting me under an x-ray machine to find the fluid. After my doctor tried, they brought in what they thought was a specialist. He tried and it, he couldn't find any. Then they found this other guy who thought, oh, I can do this. And they set me up and they put me in this position and he sticks this needle in me and all four of my limbs went shooting out. He hit some nerve, it like almost paralyzed me, but they had to get it. So then they put me under the uh, x-ray machine, they find it, and then they took the spinal fluid. So it's not easy. <laughs> Trust me, it is not easy. Now I'm going to go back and ask you to repeat the first part of the question, please. I already forgot it. I'm sorry. I know you were talking about how you had to get control of your mind because at yes. first you thought you were going to die. How did you get control of your mind first well, thinking you were going to die and then realizing, oh, I might survive this? Well, it was it was really just, you know, because when you're Kid Curry <laughs> at running Power 96 in Miami uh, and being Kid Curry, just a DJ in the towns that I was in, I was fairly famous. People always wanted to get next to me. Well, you know, after I got out of the radio business and I came home and started dealing with MS, I went from a cane to a crutch into a wheelchair and people move away from guys in wheelchairs. So I had a mental thing happen to me where you know, it, it really, it, it messed with me for a long time, for years. So I had to deal with that. But, you know, when, when I finally had the change, when I could tell that, that things were different, 
all I needed was a little bit of hope, a little tiny bit of hope. And it just, it made me start thinking that, wait, I'm not going to go down like I thought I was going to go down because I could feel it. And when I could feel that I wasn't as sick or, or that nothing was getting worse, let me put it that way. Nothing was changing. It was like, okay, uh, that's been getting worse, but that's not, my foot doesn't curl any more than it did. I could just tell. So my mind changed, but you know, I've got to tell you, once again, I throw a lot of this to my wife. You know, my wife is now an international business coach in real estate. We have a home full of positivity. You know, she coaches people. She coached them through this pandemic last year. You know, don't forget that, uh, you know, everything kind of shut down a year plus ago and uh, the real estate business didn't. Um, everyone was panicked through it. Everyone thought they were going to lose their everything. Uh, but my wife st stuck with all her clients. She had like 40 at the time uh, and she coached them through the pandemic. Uh, so she's a very positive person. Plus, you know, when you're the kind of guy that did what I did, you know, I had a pretty damn big ego being Kid Curry. You know, I mean, I, I got real lucky. I worked for some geniuses who taught me a lot and gave me guns. And even, you know, you know, there was only one Kid Curry in radio. You could find a whole bunch of Curtis Jacksons on the radio, my brother. Find a whole bunch of Bill Tanners, but there was only one Kid Curry. Uh, so when you said my name, you couldn't confuse that guy. There was only one. Um, so, you know, it. I was a very, very high, strong, positive, I'm going to kick your ass kind of guy, even running radio stations. Bring it on. Bring on the competition. And I kept throwing them back. Uh, come on, bring your format changes. Bring me your dance tracks thinking you're going to beat my radio station. No. And they never did. So, uh, so I'm a pretty high strung guy, but I did get hit for eight years. It was a mental thing that finally, when I got a glimpse of hope, you know, but, and, and even during the eight years that I was going down, my wife held me up, you know, because it, it's expensive to be disabled in America. You know, I get a wheelchair from my insurance, but in order for me to take this motorized wheelchair anywhere, I've got to have a vehicle to transport it in. So I got to pay for that out of my pocket or I could go ahead and just buy my own wheelchair and have a car that I can throw the wheelchair in the back. And I crawl along the side of the car to be able to get my wheelchair out so I can move around. I have an elevator in my house that goes from the, the ground floor to the, to the first floor to get me in the house because homes aren't built with ramps. And uh, there is such that you couldn't build a ramp into my house. So I had to buy my own elevator. I had to buy my own wheelchair. I, I am in my insurance. I, I can't be insured by these, you know, these, even these things that say, oh, you, know, you cannot be turned down. Well, guess what? I get turned down. So because of multiple sclerosis, because of my condition. So it's, it's a tough thing to deal with. And all of that came down on me for eight years. But, you know, since 2013, 14, 15, I've had the last five years to try to regrow my brain. I can tell you that, you know, uh, right after I got the medicine change, you could hardly hear my voice. It's not very strong now, but it was almost destroyed by MS. But in the years since my medicine change and my condition has leveled off, my voice has kind of come back. So I believe that your body can heal itself if you put yourself in the right frame of mind. I'm always looking to get better. I don't think I have MS. Yeah, I can't walk, but damn it, I'll get up and I'll get through it. 
That's just the way you're supposed to do it. That's the way I feel. That's the way my dad would expect that from me, you know, because that's what he showed me. You got to keep pushing, man. That's all there is to it. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm spiritual without religion. I'm very much a spirit filled person. I believe that it's in our DNA to do good. And I believe in Muhammad Ali's, you're supposed to do good for people because that's the rent you pay to be on the planet. So that's what I do. That's me. Well, let me just ask for people who might be suffering the same symptoms that you were, uh, think they might have multiple sclerosis. What information or resources would you recommend them check out? Well, uh, my doctor is, is a well-known international uh, specialist on multiple sclerosis. He's got a book out called Optimal Health with Multiple Sclerosis. Optimal Health with Multiple Sclerosis. If you think you're having, you know what? I've even seen people that I know have MS because they're doing the same things I do. MS is not very well diagnosed in America because people don't want to talk to people about the things that are going on. You, you lose your bowel movements. You lose your bladder. Uh, your eyes don't work. Your hands twitch. Uh, MS is a, quiet, is a quiet disease. You know, people don't want to talk about it. So if you're having these things that I've spoken about today, if your eye is darkened, if you're seeing if you're seeing floaters and they're jetting around or, or there's a pain in, in your right eye, specifically the right eye MS patients, if your hands curl uh, out of nowhere, uh, if your feet, you know, what happened to me was my toes started curling. That's the first thing I started noticing. My wife would give me massages at noon every day, my feet massages when I come home from the radio station to have lunch, just so I could get back to the office and walk. So if you're having these things, go to your, go to your doctor, your, your regular doctor, and tell them these things are going on. They'll get you to a neurologist. That neurologist will go through the tests, and you will eventually, hopefully, find out. Because, again, it's a mystery. Some people cannot get diagnosed. You know, I feel bad that some people just, you know, they go through the tests, and there's still no definite decision on what is happening. But if you're having any of these problems get to a doctor and find out because modern science is going to cure MS. You know, I, I believe that uh, the stem cell movement out there is, is curing people. Uh, right now, there's research into remaking the lining on your nerves. They, they think they can give you a medicine to reline the nerves, MS patients. The medicines that they have now, the medicine that I had stopped me from dying. I believe that. So, you know, if you're having any of these things go on, get to your doctor, check out my doctor's book, Optimal Health with Multiple Sclerosis. It'll give you a better idea what you're supposed to do if these things are happening to you, how to get through it. What projects, upcoming projects or current projects are you working on right now? Thanks for asking, man. I've got a, uh, uh, my third book now is a, is a continuation of my second, The Death of Fairness. Uh, this book is uh, all about a little girl who understands why we have the division in America. She knows why it happened, where it started. And this little girl grows up to want to become president so she can bring back the fairness doctrine to bring civility back to America. The book is currently titled Bonnie's Law, The Return to Fairness. I'm, ship I'm uh, out shopping the book out now with agents. 
Uh, if it doesn't, if I don't get anything by August, I will self-publish it. But I, you know, my wife affords me to be able to do big promotions. I would imagine that uh, everyone's going to hear about it when it happens. So, uh, but that's what I'm doing now. You know, I work really hard. I just, I just put together a new website. My website uh, has information about my books. I blog there. Uh, my website is krcurry.com, krcurry.com. That's where I'm at, sir. I just uh, want people to, to think good about themselves and do good for other people. That's what we're here for. Are you on social media so people can connect with you there as well? If so, go ahead and give out your social media links. K.R. Curry, the author. K.R. Curry, the author is my Facebook page and Insta page. And, wow. you know, I, I, you know, and fortunately, I, <laughs> I'm an old man. I don't understand much about social media, but my 17 year old assures me that I, I'm, I'm, I'm OK. So. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely sure that. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts for people before we close it out? I just want everybody to remember that there's good out there. Uh, I know it's tough right now trying to decide what's happening at times in America, but I believe in the good in people. I believe we're supposed to be friendly. I believe you're supposed to work hard. And I believe you're supposed to do good things for other people. When you get up in the morning and you look outside and it's morning, that's the first step into having a great day. So be good to yourselves. That's what matters to me. Ladies and gentlemen, Kid Curry. Kid, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for letting me talk a lot. <laughs> no problem. And for all you Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball app. And please be sure to follow, rate, review, and share after listening. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.